Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Hardcore Listing. Um, I'm one of your hosts. I'm Stu with him. Um, Chris isn't about, so I'm going to do the intro on my own today. Um, today's guest, let's cut straight to it, today's guest is Doc Bran. Um, I heard Doc Bran on Adam Buxton's podcast and on Scroob's podcast and thought, mate, we have got to get this guy on here. Um, he came down to DJ for, for Pip and I at our club night and was cracking. Um, got on really well with him, asked him if he'd come on and he was like, love to. So he came down to the Queen of Hoxton and we recorded it in the basement down there. And what a lovely fella. Uh, absolute gent. We had a really good laugh. And uh, and as you're probably about to find out, because hopefully you're going to... Listen, you've probably skipped this bit because it's the, the intro bit and I know you want to go straight to the, the chat with Doc. Um, but before we do, I'm just going to do a quick few shout-outs to Bang Boom Creative and Love Beer, our sponsors, uh, Mr. 76, who produces this podcast, and the Distraction Pieces Network team. And also on that team, there's two new podcasts, Films We're Buried With by Brett Goldstein. Brett is a former guest on Hardcore Listing, um, and I'm not going to lie, one of my favourite episodes. Um, he's... Top five was cracking, and he's a lovely man. Um, and his podcast is absolutely smashing it. Um, but it's going to, because Brett's great, and his guests are people like Catherine Ryan, um, James Acaster, uh, Pip. And, yeah, it's absolutely gone bananas, this podcast, and rightly so. So go and have a little listen. That's on Acast and iTunes. The other new podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network is a little podcast I'm doing on my own um, called Off The Beaten Track. Uh, it's a music-based podcast where I have a guest on and I ask them seven questions. I send them seven questions in advance of the podcast and they answer them questions with a song selection. Um, and these questions are laid out across their life. So we have a little life story chat um, and we talk about the songs that have soundtracked that life to date but a lot of focus is on the area in which they grew up in and their creative journey and how that area that they grew up in influenced hindered affected that creative journey um had a few episodes out so far um pipped on the first one um we had block party on uh rich wilson um snowboy uh, destruction so yeah have a little listen to one um, if you haven't already um, if you have listened thank you because it was due to you guys listening and supporting that um, that podcast went 
to number one on iTunes, which I didn't expect that. You've heard our colisting, right? We're not very good at this. Like, how on earth did it manage to go to number one? I don't know, but thank you. It felt great. So, that's what's new on the Distraction Pieces Network, and that was a big nod to all my sponsors and stuff. So, let's get back on with the podcast. Queen of Hoxton, thank you very much for letting us record there. Ace Doc Bran, it's great. 76, drop that intro music. It's a drunken soiree in the within. Chris and Stu present our core listing, the podcast. Right, we're, we're recording. <clears throat> so we're at the Queen of Hoxton. Thanks to those um, people there for letting us record here tonight. And uh, yeah. it's a lovely sunny day out there. Yeah, and we're hanging out in a basement. Yeah. I think it could be the hottest day of the year. You reckon? Yeah. It feels it like that way. It. Yeah, mm. it really feels proper hot up there. I went up in the, the Queen of Hoxton's garden earlier and it, it, was, it was too hot for me. It's too much. I couldn't hack it. Not, yeah, you're, you're pretty pasty, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I am. Your, your beard looks like it might be, like, you know, borderline ginger. There is, it's in there. In this kind of heat, it looks like, like it'd heat. be highly flammable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That it's and the combination up. of all my moles is like, the, do- <laughs> the doctor literally is always like, are you, uh, are, you, are you staying in this year? And I'm like, well, I might go on holiday. They're like, do not go anywhere sunny. Well, like, oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> well, uh, the voice you heard aside from uh, Chris and I is this evening's guest, uh, which is Doc Brown. Yeah. You all right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I didn't know what to expect when you said Queen of Hoxton. I, th- I suddenly thought halfway here, I thought, oh, shit, maybe there's a crowd. Because it's a venue. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't yeah. even think of that. Yeah, yeah. Because I've and been in that situation up. before where, like, yeah, yeah, I still turned up. Because I thought, like, if it's a crowd, I'll just turn it on. I'll be, yeah, like, yeah. 25% funnier. <laughs> <laughs> With a bit more energy. Um, but, yeah, I've been in that situation before where both ways, where I expected a crowd and there's nobody. Yeah. And when I didn't think there was a crowd and suddenly there's a crowd. And, yeah, I suppose it changes, changes your energy when you're on the mic. But I'm kind of, I'm glad you haven't even attempted to get a crowd. Because... Yeah. It is, like we said, it's the hottest day of the year so far. I've been involved in a couple of events recently that have been postponed at the last minute or cancelled because no fucker wants to go indoors. Yeah, 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 I mean? yeah, yeah, definitely. So It's yeah. a rough one, that. I think when you start promoting and it's a sunny day, you're like, yes, this is going to be great. And then, you, and then no one's showing up. Mate, like, what there's, the fuck's there's, going on? They're, they're, they're a multi-million dollar budget blockbusters that have flopped in the past <laughs> just because of the sun. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You throw the sun in there, and then you throw the World Cup in there. Yeah, yeah, I had a rough, rough night at 93 feet east. I feel sorry for comedians right now. They're struggling. That that first act who's on at like half seven right now on the circuit. Oof. There's, yeah. n- there's no one there. Oof. <laughs> Iran, Portugal. Yes, please. <laughs> um, so you've, you've chosen a really decent five, Ben. And, uh, but you, you sent over a few others as well. Yep. To kind of yeah, I thought I'd give you guys some options. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm not, I don't like to be precious about stories. I don't like to be precious about precious about anything that I do, because I think the more fun you can have with your work, the better the work is, and the more you can move on, the more you experience and the more you experiment. So I, I just same with everything. I just go, oh, we could talk about this, we talk about that. So I sent a little list, and I was just looking back over it yeah. when you, when you were off getting me a drink. Um, and I realised that some some were quite good, but some like I mean 
top five Muppets. I don't know how we could have stretched an hour out of that one. <laughs> I think we'd, we'd, we'd make it, yeah, we'd make it. You reckon? It. Yeah, Maybe we'd, we'll do we'd, that for uh, the part two. I, I always... Ever, yeah, for sure. When, when people... Like, I always think one of the most horrific things you could ever see would be that kind of Muppet factory where they're all just... Oh, I went, hanging. I literally went up. to one on Friday. Fuck off. Really? I went to one on Friday, yeah, yeah. I just got involved in this thing. I was involved in a puppet show years ago, a, a TV puppet show called Big Babies, which was just amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I was doing some voices. Um, and the puppeteers that worked on that, they've gone on to do all these amazing things. They've got a new TV series that they're working on. And they said, oh, would you, do you want to come and try out some voices? And I was like, yeah, of course, man, definitely. And I went to their studio, and it is... It's the puppet graveyard vibes. How it's was puppets it? Every, it's Dark. so freaky, but at the same time, it's, it's pretty cool, man. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, like, just the level of creativity is, it blows you away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love working with puppets. Did you know there's a new puppet movie coming out where there's, like, it's got, I think it's got Melissa McCarthy in it. Yeah, it has. And um, it's like, uh, it's, it's humans and puppets. But it's like a totally adult film, and her and a puppet detective, they're police, and they're investigating murders in this puppet town. Oh, amazing. But it's, it's, gonna, like, it's not like a Roger Rabbit style. It's going to be more serious than that, is it? No, that's the it's thing. Gonna be it's like hardcore sex, hardcore violence, and comedy. It wow. might be the worst film ever, or it might be the best. It might be glorious, yeah. I've seen, check out the trailer, right? It, the trailer ends with a Muppet... Uh, having a multiple orgasm just ejaculating all over a, uh, an office what's Jeez, it called yeah I, just, I can't if you look up spunking rabbit yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you look, look up Melissa better. McCarthy puppet mayhem orgasm yeah it's mental <laughs> like it, the trailer is just like what like because they are Muppets like yeah. they're made by Brian Henson there's some legal stuff that's going on between Brian Henson and his dad's own company because the company, the Muppets company, are like, we don't want, we don't, don't want to be anywhere to near this thing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but when you watch the trailer, it's like, yeah, it could be the best or the worst movie in the history of movies. So would you have done top five puppets or specifically Muppets? No, it would have been specifically Muppets. Muppets. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. For a few yeah. in, who would have yeah. been in there? Yeah. yeah. Say again? Who, who would have been, been in there? For a few in there. Well, I, did, you know, I, just, I, I didn't really think about it in detail when I was, um, when I put it in there, I just threw it in there because I thought it might be funny. <laughs> but I'd say Gonzo would have to be in there. Um, what is Gonzo? Don't know. He's got, just got a an, dick for an, a nose, right? An eater, maybe? Uh, Skinny yeah, maybe. eater. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I'd never really thought about what Gonzo was. Yeah. Um, you got to have Fuzzy in there, I'd say. Uh, even though Scooter is boring, I like him mainly because I can do his voice almost <laughs> perfectly. That's quite <laughs> I really like Scooter, and um, yeah, Miss Piggy. I mean, like Rolf. Rolf. Rolf, yeah. I like because he really played the piano. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he had human hands. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I just, the Muppets for me were... That was like The Simpsons before The Simpsons, do you know what I mean? See, before the Christmas one, like, I remember just one of the weirdest things. And, and, and I used to cycle to school every day when I was a kid. Um, and my mate Paul was literally, when we was at school, about six foot. But he must have been about four stone, right? <laughs> and his parents bought him, when mountain bikes first come out, bought him this massive mountain bike. And have you ever seen Kermit the Frog ride a bike? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's in like the Muppet caper, it's I think. It's so good how they animate that. It's mental, isn't it? Yeah, just like That's what sticks. he looked like. <laughs> the bony knees yeah. going round yeah, and round. It's like there's no muscles functioning there, does it? That's hilarious. <laughs> it would be, be one of your Muppets then, mate. Animal's got to be in there, right? An, an, oh, oh, yeah, Animal is a good like, show. Yeah. Yeah. Beaker's pretty cool. Beaker. Yeah, Beaker's. Like, if you see the Christmas Muppet Carol, mm-hmm. uh, when uh, him and the Doctor knock on the door... Mm. Uh, begging like for, for charity money at Christmas and, and Michael Caine shuts the door and throws something at him. The, the doctor guy picks up the coins and you've got to look carefully, Beaker gives him the finger. Wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Be- yeah, exactly. Beaker I'd go for. Um, but yeah, people used to buy me dolls of Beaker as a kid because yeah. I've literally just got my neck and my head are equally as wide. Yeah. So I look a bit like Beaker. Yeah, you are. Um, I would say if I had to break you down, you're 20% look. neck. It is. It's a, it's a tough look, that one. It's a hard one to Ronaldo's work. a bit like that, isn't he? Cristiano <laughs> Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's maybe because he's built up his neck so much <laughs> that it's sort of caught up <laughs> yeah. with his, the yeah. width of his head. Yeah, my skull you just haven't was strunk. Yeah, it just shrunk. Um, <laughs> Miss Piggy. I, I've got to give it props to Miss Piggy. And yeah. I kind of like Pepe Le Prawn as well. I think yeah. he's a new addition. He's all oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's funny, man. I think he's got he's got he's got something. Left field edition. Yeah. I like that. And before we get on to your five, I just want to pick your brains quickly, Ben, mm. about sixty, seventies soul classics that people oh, might yeah, not that have was heard on of as well. So I'm I'm curious as to what a couple of those are. Oh man. Um The Other Side of Town by Mandrill is an unbelievably great album. Um I love hearing like those those old albums particularly when you hear a, a little if you're a big rap fan you hear a little loop on there like a little little something a vocal sample or you know a little strum of the guitar that you recognize from yeah. somewhere I, I love that but even more i just love stumbling a, across stuff you've got no business knowing anything yeah. about um i say uh al green's album call me nice it's like, nice oh, that is just i was probably that's probably quite well known but I mean, it doesn't have maybe the more well-known hits on it, yeah. but song for song, it's like flawless. As a vocalist, outrageous. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Different oh, level. Sure. Yeah, yeah, he's different gravy. Like, as soon as you hear his voice, you just you just relax. It does something to you. It's like, yeah. it's spiritual. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, um, there's a There's a great album by a guy called Rufus Thomas called... Um, yeah, Rufus Thomas done Seesaw with Aretha yeah. Franklin. Yeah, yeah. Right he, he worked with loads of really is it, big it was, people. Is that Rufus Thomas, Rufus as in Shaka Khan and Yeah, Rufus. he worked with loads of big people, but he wasn't really like a... Yeah. Well, he was a star, but he wasn't like a, a star star because he, he's just such a... He looks like a penguin. He's got like this crazy receding hairline with a big sort of grey afro at the back. Like he looks a mess. Yeah. But he's the, one of the funkiest men alive. He's got an album called Did You Heard Me, which I, I, I like in yeah. itself, Did You Heard Me. And um, there's all sorts of like, the, the funkiest breakbeats you ever heard on that. The, the drums are so fucking hard. It's like he's turned the drums up in the mix and just gone, look, fuck it. The, the, yeah. This drum pattern's so ridiculous. <laughs> we need to just raise it up. There's a song on there called The Funky Penguin, which is like, ah, it's too much. There's, 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 to be fair, there's endless, there's endless albums. I could sit here talking about them for ages, but might I guess it probably like it might start distancing certain listeners. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That's why I think you 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 pick the right one. Actually, just the last word on 60s and 70s albums. When um, uh, 
remember when my girlfriend, now wife, was um, helping clear out her uncle's um, flat, some little housing estate in Islington. Um, he was moving away. We helped him clean it out. And uh, we shifted, like, this uh, chair and sofa, and there was, like, a little cabinet behind there. So we were getting ready to shift that, but it was just so heavy, we couldn't, couldn't move it. And it was like, oh, I'll just see what's in it. And we opened it up, and it was, like, stacks and Atlantic records from the mid-'60s to, like, the mid-'70s. So the best era for both of those labels. But they were unplayed, somewhat unopened. So what? you still get that little feeling when you pull it out for the first time and it's still it was stuck insane. to the yeah. yeah. So oh. they look like reissues, you know, but they're all originals. And we were just like, what are you doing with these? And he was like, oh, I, I totally forgot they were there. We just, just have them, man. So wow. <laughs> me and my wife inherited those. And there's, wow, there's, it's a treasure trove in there. It's about, it's about 150 records. Nice. This, yeah. Um, it's, it's a great era. If you're into soul and, and funk, it's... It's, untou- it's an untouchable era, really. Yeah, they don't yeah. really make soul like that anymore, apart from maybe Charles Bradley. Don't know if you heard him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's amazing. But yeah, it's it's like a it's a musical form that has actually gone. Mm. You 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 came down and DJ'd uh, for us a couple of what was that about a month ago now, mm-hmm. and you did a vinyl set, which I guess mm. rarely do that, and. Um, it was you, you mixed it all in, man. It was wicked. You started. You, I don't know if you started with "Got to Be Real." I think I was taking a it slash was, when you started playing that, it and was I was early like, on. "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you 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 mixed in. I think never too much loot for Vandross. It was it was good. I said to Ben when you man. when you was um, having a slash again. Uh, this <laughs> the, uh, I spend a lot of time in those it, it was just so good this, this girl come up and, like, and just went uh, I don't suppose you've got any leave of Andros and literally just turned around and just pulled it straight out on vinyl <laughs> flipped it over and put it on and I was like yeah that was smooth was I think like, it's a thing now when I speak to DJs that I know there's a lot of DJs I knew from back in the day who are like big DJs now I guess and it's a thing now where there's oh we'll do a vinyl night we'll do it like everyone has to play vinyl it's like an uh, event in itself yeah and it's like a, a novelty. Yeah. Um, this wasn't that. Like, I really wanted to do it, but as all I had yeah. is, is vinyl. <laughs> like, I was saying, Stu, like, it's been so long since I DJ that they've invented a new way to DJ <laughs> since the last time I DJ. They, like, they've invented Serato. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. CDJs. So, like, yeah, I was like a house party DJ. You know, I just, like, my thing was always just play what everybody wants to hear. But over the course of my life, my collections got mad. Like, it's so varied. And there's a bit of everything. Like, I dream of the day one day where I could play to a crowd of, like, proper, proper rap nerds. Do you know what I mean? Who, like, know everything there is to know about rap. Because then I could play whatever the fuck I wanted yeah. for my collection yeah. and everybody would know about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, my my my, my record, my records, uh, yeah, they go deep. And and when I flick through them, because I never have a reason to flick through them, that was the best thing about getting that gig. I had a reason to flick through them yeah. again. So it was like a day of like putting on songs whilst I was getting the little and selection like together. Right? That's, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. It was like a, a page from a diary. Do you know what I mean? I was like, fuck this, you know what I mean? And that, and jeez, oh man, this reminds me of so. Yeah, so, yeah it's, it's it's special. I came close to getting rid of it all, uh, maybe about 
seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I tried. In the end, I just got all the like doubles and shit that was given to me, promos and shit that I bought that was just awful. Yeah. I got like 300 of those and took them down to Oxfam. And that felt good, like yeah, a little purge. Yeah, yeah. But I'm glad I didn't get rid of it all. Yeah, I could never get rid of mine. It drives my missus up the wall, but like literally whenever we... Well, that's because like, you won't move them out of the bedroom and there's no room for anything else. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Just in different parts. We literally, like, it was part of our criteria of whenever we, like, we, we move house. It's like, if uh, the house we're in now hasn't got a loft. But, like, it was always a big thing that like, we've got to have a loft because I've got to fit it out so I can put my, my decks and my vinyl there. Mm. Yeah. And, like, so now, obviously, I've got the room at the end of the garden. Yeah. Which is great because whenever... My missus has a go at me. She's like, "Just get out of my sight." I'm like, that "Sweet." <laughs> yeah, I've, got, I've got one of those little, the little man man shed at the end of the garden. I can record in there, and it's real peaceful. It's nice and cozy. But there's yeah, there's a shitload of vinyl in there as well. I'm fortunate in that my wife's a vinyl nut as well. Yeah, yeah she spent about three hundred pound on Prince records a few months ago. That's oh. money well spent, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. She's like a huge Prince fan, so when she, when he died, she was like cut up, and she just did everything Prince related. She's seen him like sixteen, seventeen times. She's hardcore. <laughs> Man, he, uh, he must have been hard. I was in Austria, and uh, and he died on my birthday, and uh, and I remember just getting up in this like little hotel room and just putting the telly on, and I was like, "There's no way Prince is dead," and like, I thought, "That's got to be like early doors rumor meal. It can't yeah. be true." And, <clears throat> Fucking Prince was dead. He was like, man. Like, yeah, felt like out of the blue. Didn't he's it? like young, surely. Yeah. He's gonna live forever. He's Prince. Yeah. Like, oh man, it was awful. Awful. Yeah. Well, let's let's move away from that somber subject and uh, let's talk about what your what top five you did pick. Ben, what'd you go for? Well, I sent you guys a list and I, I sort of left it up to you to pick your favourite. And and your the vote came back. Um, top five worst gigs. <laughs> So yeah. I don't know if that's a top five or a bottom five. I don't really, yeah. really work that one out. <laughs> uh, top five worst gigs, and it's specifically stand-up, which we haven't we haven't mentioned yet because um, you know I've I've had some bad like music gigs, but music's so different. Like I remember I, I was in a band with Mark Ronson for a bit, and um, I remember playing. A, was your first gig at like Fabric or something like that? Yeah, yeah. the first one was at Fabric, yeah. um, and. Uh, a few months after that, we played. It was either Isle of Wight Festival or Bestival. It was definitely on the Isle of Wight. And this was an all star lineup, right? Yeah, all star lineup. Yeah. Um, and it was like, I don't know, maybe 40,000 people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And in, in the, the band was Amy, was in the band, yeah, right? Amy Lily Allen. Lily Allen. Um, yeah, all sorts of people. And you man, requires bassist as well. Yeah, yeah. Is it Stuart Zender? Yeah. Uh, um, Santo, Santo Gold. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, she was in it. Haggis Horns. Oh, Haggis Horns. Um, Snowboy on percussion. It was like, it was ridiculous. Really? No yeah, Snowboy. Snowboy done um, my podcast last week. Did he? He's a really good friend of mine. Oh, he's a lovely guy. He's an Essex boy. Is he? Uh, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, man. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a ridiculous amount of talent in there. And me. And, um, yeah, I remember one one gig we did there came out uh, on stage. One of the mics was fucked up. Like, I think it was either Lily's or Amy's wasn't working at all. Um... Mark used because we had Snowboy doing all the um, you know multi percussive stuff, but not actually a, a drum kit yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Mark would just have the drums on a CD and play it on a CDJ, just the drums mastered like that. Boom, so give it a sort of hip hop vibe. Um, that was fucking up. 
and there was like all these technical difficulties. You just look at it, it's just 40,000 40, people. Just going, <laughs> <laughs> Even when like they try and apologize, oh, sorry for uh, ignore that last song, blah, blah. We've got a few issues. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas in stand up, it's like the tiniest things can completely destroy a gig. Yeah. In spectacular fashion. Do you know what I mean? So I thought it was probably more interesting to talk about. So you're fired. It's got to be more pain. It's got to be more cringy and painful when you're just There's hung no out there. And you're on your own, right? It's, you're not in a band. Roughest. You're out there yeah, on your own. Every, you? It's your idea, and you've gone, "Hey, this is funny, right?" And then everyone's just oh. like, <laughs> and people are like, "No, that's not funny." It, you know what? It turns my stomach a little bit just hearing you say that. <laughs> just hearing it referred to in any way. It's oh, it's just such a. It's such a horrific, horrific job. I don't, I don't know why anyone would do it. You'd have to be a sadomasochist. <laughs> so you've sent five over, right? Yeah. Are they from, like, bad to tragic, or are <laughs> they just five howlers? They, I wrote them down as I remembered them, right, so sure. they're not in an order. Okay, that's okay. cool. Because, like, yeah. I think I gave you as number five was probably one of the most horrifying, <laughs> but it was also different because only I really knew what was going on. So it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of a unique... <laughs> yeah situation that one but no i was just writing them down in no particular order really just right. thinking what are the five worst moments i can remember and i'm sure there's more that i've forgotten about but um, You've those repressed. are the ones that came these came are the to ones mind. that you haven't, you haven't buried <laughs> yeah <society>. yeah yeah <laughs> it's hard it's hard to move on because like i 90 percent of the time in my career as a stand-up i must have been killing it because I was making a healthy living yeah do you know what I mean people was coming to my gigs i never had empty rooms you know did well yeah. yeah so i must have been generally good yeah but i can't remember any times where i was like oh yeah there's the best gig of my life i i remember every death well you, you've got no recollection of coming off thinking slide that i definitely did it loads yeah. but i couldn't like pinpoint oh this gig this place what it was like before afterwards something about dying it just focuses the brain in a weird way. And I remember every element, like little things that happened before, little things that happened after, what the rooms were like. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's weird. Yeah. Brilliant. But yeah. yeah, sometimes in extreme moments of life, the brain does operate in a strange way. Like if you think about like high octane moments of your life, like when some shit like really crazy happens, you get hit by a car or you get a phone call and one of your friends has died or like first time you kiss a girl or you know what I'm saying? Like mm. first time you get super high or whatever it is, like those big moments in life, your brains, you're just on another plane. You know what I mean? You're just, you're just in a, you're operating in a different kind of emotional zone where everything is heightened. I think that's what it is. Whereas I just yeah. killed it so often that it was War of the Ducks back. Don't remember those days. <laughs> ah, yeah, I just murked it again. Oh, shit. Ah, fuck, I'm hilarious. Success. Again. <laughs> of course I am. I think when you do any new experience, seems to time stretches for it, doesn't it? Yeah. Whereas when you're doing things That's that you're routinely yeah. done, your brain doesn't need to store that information. It's not Absolutely. new. But if you're, if, you, if you're dying, it's weird because it's the same thing. You call it dying like, on stage, but also, also anything that might threaten you as a person, mm. you're... You, we're probably programmed to remember that more because you don't want to sort of be back in that situation. So you're saying it's almost like the survival instinct of a human Fire being. Flight, yeah, mm. I guess so. But yours is t t telling a sucky joke, basically. Yeah. Or, oh, it's man. interesting that it's called killing and dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You 
kill when you die. You kill or you die. <laughs> That's quite mad. Well, let's not focus on the, you killing it. Can we just really go <laughs> yeah, into you just dying yeah, yeah. on your ass, please? Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. So, um, I guess I'll start with that first one I remembered. It was, I was in the Midlands. And um, I guess what you got to understand about this period of my life is I was a couple years into working the circuit. And I was gigging 11 or 12 times a week. When, when was this, roughly? This, so, this is like... Oh nine, maybe twenty ten, um, and I'm gigging for a living. That's what I'm doing. Nothing else. I'm just performing. I'm writing jokes and I'm performing them. And you know the gigs are like, occasionally you get a, a decent payer, but on the whole the gigs are like you know it's like a hundred and fifty pounds, or maybe two hundred pounds. So you got to keep doing it. Like I had two kids. Do you know what I mean? And you gotta to get to these gigs, right? Oh, you gotta to get wow. to the gigs. So like you got a gig in uh Newcastle for hundred and fifty pounds, you gotta get there and back and sleep somewhere. Yeah. So you're not really seeing a lot no. of that hundred and fifty pounds. Sometimes you end up like <laughs> negative equity. Yeah. There's no there's no pension involved in that. No, either. it's, Do you know it's what I mean? like I, people don't really appreciate like what the grind is for stand up is it's it's insane. If you're gonna if you're gonna make it, you've gotta do so many horrible gigs. This one was not a particularly horrible gig, but I was in a particularly difficult place because when you've got really young kids, if you're a live entertainer, your life becomes quite fraught quite quickly. So, like, my missus would come home from work teaching and it would be like a sort of just a high five, you know, that would be it. And I'd be out the door because I needed to get to fucking Stafford or something. Do you know what I mean? Um in time for an evening gig. So it was, it was fraught with a lot of tension and you, you got these two kids and whatnot. And you're always really tired. So it's easier to get into arguments with your other half. So I was at the side of the stage and we started a conversation on the phone and it quickly had become quite fraught. Oh. And um, then it was like, oh God, I'll, I'll deal with it. You know, I'll be home and I'll deal, I'll deal with it when I get home. And then like, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Doc Brown. And I was just like, oh, I just hung up. Like, and I hadn't done any of my um, sort of ritual prep, which for me is always like emptying my pockets. Like I don't like having anything on me yeah. ever. I don't know what it is. Similar to how I started to be quite uncomfortable having short sleeves on stage <laughs> maybe I felt too naked or something but yeah I'd never want things in my pockets never want money in my pockets didn't want to jangle um, but yeah I hadn't done my checks I went on stage and I was in a bad mood and I wasn't mentally prepared to do, <laughs> to do comedy so I had an awkward start and your start is everything you know the first thing you say it, it puts an audience at ease or it puts them on edge if it puts them on edge, that's fine if the second thing you say pulls them back from the brink. If the second thing you say is, is, is also awkward, they're right out there on the edge. And then, then you might get a third strike. Do you know what I mean? Is there any way really back from that? If you get like, it's really tricky. Yeah. It's really tricky because what will happen is humans read humans. Even though we might think we're not great readers of body language, Right. It's like the two guys that came in when we were just about to start recording. They yeah. wanted to use the room at the same time. Yeah. But we had it booked. Mm -hmm. 
if you looked at their body language, there's two guys. One of them was adamant he wanted to check some equipment for this other guy. Yeah. If you looked at the body language, the other guy didn't really give a he shit. Went, no, he, he wasn't might. bothered. Yeah, yeah. He was quite easy. And sure enough, when he spoke, he was like, I don't mind doing it tomorrow. Yeah. But the first guy's body language was very much like, I have to do this yeah. now. And you could read that without being a psychologist. So on stage, it's like every fucker is staring at you, reading your language, even though they might not know they're doing it. So it's little things, it's the whites of your eyes, it's, it's, it's your hands, it's the way you're carrying yourself. So your bad side can really voice. resonate then. Yeah. So first of all, there was a tension that I must have gave off and then that was thrown back at me. And um, normally I would say, I would do like a bit of, I don't know, a bit of off the cuff banter with the crowd, just, you know, what's going on, or, you know, your town shit, whatever. Um, and I was just like not in the mood. I was just up there like this is annoying that I have to do this now. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, Going um, for the motions. Yeah. And I think the first thing I said was like, all right. And a couple of people were like, hey. And like, yeah. Um, uh, you guys, yeah, you're in. Um, so what's uh, yeah, what's going on? That's enough. Just the awkwardness of that is enough to completely throw a room. <laughs> you yeah. better come with a joke soon. And I didn't. Um, I launched into material. It felt contrived immediately because of the sudden switch to, to, to joviality. Yeah. <laughs> and I became awkward in my body language almost immediately. I was wearing like a thin jacket over a t-shirt with jeans and I subconsciously, because I had Mike in, in my left hand, with my right hand, I just put my hand in my pocket. And in my pocket, like I felt what felt like a handkerchief. I don't know what I thought it was. Your brain's doing lots of different things when you're doing stand-up. If you're improvising, you're completely in the moment. Your brain's only really doing one thing. It's very pure. It's interesting. But if you're doing material that you do every night, your brain can wonder in a crazy way you know when you were first started to drive you never would have believed yeah. that you could think about anything yeah. other than driving yeah. <laughs> yeah. but then now you, you get somewhere and you can't remember the now journey now you're like all. eating a fucking hot yeah. dog yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean arguing with your kids so yeah I, I, I was there thinking oh, what's that what's that in my pocket I, I pulled it out thinking it was a hanky I don't know why I pulled it out even I was just I was half in half out of the situation and I looked at it um pair of three-year-old girls knickers <laughs> in, in my hat and I just like my body just froze up I looked out at the crowd and I must have gone white as a sheet and looked at them they've not I've not really revealed what it is to them I've just got it I shoved it back in oh. and then I died for 17 minutes straight <laughs> because I just wasn't I wasn't in I wasn't in the moment I wasn't in the zone I was just thinking like did anybody see that I've got Whose knickers, knickers on me. Are these? How do I explain <laughs> the fact that, you know, because those early stages of comedy, you're not really you on stage. You develop an act. Do you know what I'm saying? And then the act is a version of you. So you choose what you want to give away about yourself. So there'll be some comics that you'll meet. You'll be like, right, I never knew this guy had a family. Or I never knew this guy was gay. You know, yeah. they, they choose what they're going to show you about themselves, you know. And at that stage, 
I think I talked about having kids, definitely, but I hadn't really, like... Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Eased into who I was, which is when your comedy gets better. So I didn't really have a plan B for situations like that. If that happened a couple of years down the line, I'd be like, this is gold. I'm using this. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This might look weird to you. But let me just, just hold on a minute before you call the authorities. <laughs> but for me at that moment, I was like, this is, this is, this is the ultimate nightmare. And, and whilst we talk about killing and dying in comedy, you can also talk about suicide because sometimes you kill yourself. Right? Sure. <laughs> it's so weird. Sometimes everything's laid out for you to be funny. Yeah. And for everything to go fine. Yeah, where the crowd but seems you, warmed up and jovial. Yeah, you second-guess yourself. Yeah. You get in your own head. Yeah. And then you you kill yourself. Yeah, self-fulfilling. It? It's mad. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. I was just like, there's no way back from this. Whereas I don't think anybody in that audience, I'd be amazed if anyone saw, well, they probably just thought I was a sweat, sweat rag. You yeah. Know? yeah. Weird that he didn't mop his brow and just took it out and put it back in. But yeah. other than that, it's fine. Yeah. You know? Subliminally flashed it to us yeah. all. But th these are the margins that you're dealing with. And, you know, th this isn't actually on the list, but it just reminded me, I did an hour and a half at the Bloomsbury is doing my own show. I was very, very nervous. Um, never done a, a, my own show to that big a crowd. Um, and the night before, I'd opened the garage door into my own face. So I had this huge <laughs> lump and a gash across my forehead. Yeah. And I've got a big forehead. So I kept thinking to myself before I went on, just go on and say something like, you know, uh, all these years of writing jokes and trying to be funny. And I don't think I, I'll write anything or perform anything tonight that would be as naturally funny as opening a, a garage door onto my own face. You know, just say that, get it out of the way. Because you've got a massive thing there. And I forgot to say that. Yeah. I did an hour and a half. I was filming it, three cameras. And I've never used the footage because the gigs, it's okay, but it's not that good. And it's because for an hour and a half, people aren't really connecting with me 
they're looking at my head and going, why hasn't he said anything about yeah. his head? Yeah, own it, and there's a, you know, yeah. an elephant in the And, it, and it, 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 in stand-up terms, it becomes like, I don't believe anything this guy's saying. Yeah. Because he's got a fucking golf ball on his head with a massive cut over it, and he hasn't, he's pretending it's not there. Yeah, of course. So nothing else he's saying is probably true, or yeah. when he's improvising, it's not real improvising. Why doesn't he want to talk about Why it? Why doesn't he what, want to talk about it? domestic issue that's happened today. Yeah. It's mad, I'm isn't it? It's funny. If you say you walked into a door, they're like, oh, right, yeah. Everyone walks into doors, <laughs> don't they? Uh, that's the yeah. textbook yeah. go-to excuse, yeah. and it walked into a door. I had to reference it, and I didn't. And, and uh, the, the knickers was a bit like that. I should have just said something, owned it, and it would have been fine. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's, that's the nature of the business. It's... It's incredibly delicate. No one else is in control other than you. And unless you're feeling uber confident, like the God of that room, there's all sorts of things that can go badly wrong. You know, I've turned situations like that to my advantage since. You know, Do you think it's because you're more confident? It's because you have more experience. I went to a gig in, in Brighton once and I was super late. The host was having to you know, pad out and do more and more improv and stuff. Got there, went backstage. The, the, the stage manager was like, mate, we're going to get you straight on. I was like, cool, cool, cool. Left me there backstage and um, the host started to announce me. And I was just like, cool, I think I'm okay. Wipe the sweat off my brow. Doc Brown. And I was like, I actually don't know the way. I don't know the way to the stage. <laughs> Spinal tap. Yes, proper spinal, spinal tap shit. I was like, I never asked that crucial question. How the fuck do I get on? Like, and everyone's clapping and it's, it calms down. And he's like, where the fuck is he? Uh, and I can hear everything that's going on. So I'm just like trying to follow the noise. I whip open this one door and it's literally a cupboard. It's literally a broom cupboard. There's brooms and mops in there. Fuck. So I run to the end. There's another corridor. I run to the end of that corridor. I can hear. I'm like, I know I must be. There's just there's a wall and there's the crowd. I can yeah. fucking hear them. So I run to the other end of this corridor. Open the door, and it's like at the it's at the back of the room. It's like cabaret seating, <laughs> and everyone's sat there with their meals and stuff. And I'm just there by the tables. And he's and like, you, made, you open the door loud enough that they turn around and look. Yeah, there's a, everyone around me turned and looked, and he was like. The coach is like, I'm sorry about this, guys. I don't know where he is. And I was like, oh, no, I'm, uh, I'm over here. I'm, I'm just here. He was like, what the fuck are you doing over there? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I couldn't find my way, find my way on stage. <laughs> so this is getting like huge laughs. And then I get like an extra round of applause walking down to their mic. And then I can spend the first five minutes talking about it. Yeah, That's great. And yeah. it's just like, that was a huge lesson in like, if there's adversity, just, just, just yeah. air it out. Yeah. Because if you're in a room of silence and everyone's focused on one thing and something other than the one thing happens, for you not to reference that makes you look like a sociopath. Yeah. It makes you look weird. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a, it, was a, it was a huge lesson that. But yeah, it's funny how talking about gigs just reminds me of other gigs. <laughs> do, you, do you feel that do you ever like you've written something and you're a bit nervy and you're mm. like fucking hell like I think this is really funny but it is a bit close to the bone mm. and then does that does that then affect your sort of when you're in because it's, pre- it's material you've got so it's not, not improvising mm-hmm. so it could come out before you could even yeah. regret saying it I mm-hmm. guess and it might 
bottom or it might be funny. Mm-hmm. But if it's material that you've pre-planned, are you worried? Is there ever like I've got to just tank this? I've just got to be confident and just say this shit because if if there's any element of me mm. being nervous about saying what I'm going to say, mm. the crowd's going to pick up on it and then yep. they're they're going to get a weird vibe off me. Mm. And it's a really good question, and I suppose the short answer is yes. Like it's always scary to say something that you haven't said before. And it's like double scary if it's something that could be seen as maybe controversial yeah. or like, um, the, the thing is, this is the reason I hate people recording you at gigs. Cause if I'm doing something new and they record it and they put it online and it's shit, everyone's like, wow, why is he saying that? Yeah. And you're thinking, hold on, in six months, this is going to be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Record it then. taken out of context. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's even harder when you're, you're just working out wh- where the funny is, you know, yeah. on stage. You're working it out. Um, so there can be some awkward moments en route. So I was in Manchester and I was talking about terrorists because it was so close to the the atrocities that happened at the arena, yeah. I was given no time to get where I was going. Yeah. And that was not the audience's fault, it was my fault for thinking I can do a relatively serious setup to a, a funny guy. I haven't got that kind of time. time yeah. Yeah, I haven't yeah. got that kind of time. Like As soon as you mention certain key words, people are gonna take it a certain way. And then there's huge pressure on the, on, on the punchline when it comes as yeah. well, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I persisted with that because I thought there was something in it, even though it it really tanked the first time I, I was talking about it. Um, and I, I thought, you know what? Just come at it with pure honesty tomorrow. Like, just come back at it and say what you want to say about it in as natural a way as possible, rather than trying to write it down and and make the joke technical. Because that's never been a strength of mine. I've always been a con- conversational kind of comic. And that's exactly what I did. I just came back and I, I, I said, um, he's fucking terrorists, you know, like, I, I hate him and uh, I resent him. You know what I'm saying? I hate him, obviously, for the, 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 the atrocities and whatnot. But I also resent them because as, like, a Afro-Caribbean male, they kind of took away our edge a little bit. <laughs> Jimmy, we used to have a little sign going before these pricks. <laughs> When you, when you what, what Chris was saying earlier about like you know when you you know you, you, you're thinking of a joke and and, you, and you're, you're putting it together and you think oh is that close to the line like where was what was your sort of response like when you first sort of read the scripts for what Ricky was going to do with you mm-hmm. and, uh, in 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 the film and with you know mm-hmm. Quality Street and stuff mm-hmm. like that how, how did you sort of digest that and you know was there you know pros and cons to it in your own mind and the Ricky thing was just mad from the start, really, because first of all, he like he phoned my phone out of the blue. Uh, he got my number from someone else, um, and he asked me to come and open for him. Uh, and we and we started talking from then about stuff. And the first thing we did together was Derek. And so that was 2012. And to be honest, everything I've worked on him with, in terms of like you say, scripts and stuff, the scripts have been a blank page. So. He'll have the setup, like where the scene's going to take place, and a rough idea of what's going to be said. And then you sort of workshop it. Um, so you kind of work it out together. And the film, the film was like that. There was this whole scenes where he was just like, "All right, this is going to be the vibe. Let's see if we can get there." Sometimes there was like really funny lines that were written down, but a lot of the time he was like, "What would you say if 
if Brent says this, what would you say then? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was the same with Derek. It was like, I mean, Derek even more so was massively improvised. Um, so he just like give you the character, give you the situation, and then you go for it. And um, if you came up with something really funny in the moment, then he'd go, yeah, 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 that. But just like a bit shorter, say this word instead of that word, and then that's how you'd shoot. Yeah. So... Yeah, with him, it was like always like a fascinating process, but scary as well because there's a part of me that I know I know like in a, in under pressure I can do things off the cuff like that that can work, but when you're making a movie or a TV show, it's a bit like no, I fuck, I want to fucking know, like I want to know yeah. it's gonna be good and it's gonna yeah. work. I don't really want to improv right now because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be there for everybody yeah, to yeah, see yeah. forever. Um, but yeah, he sort of made it feel like a safe place to to do that kind of experimentation. It was always exciting to to do it. Um, Is that because he's always pissing himself? Because I, I always feel yeah, like with Ricky, gives you confidence. It, it that, goes actually. back to that confidence thing that you were talking about earlier, and being in the zone and being in the right mindset. If you're having that much of a laugh and you're dicking around, I've mm. got certain mates where I can't behave myself because yeah. we get hysterical yeah. quickly yeah. and things get silly, but that is also when the funniest shit I feel comes out. Yeah, I, I think that's that's true of Ricky. You know, they say like one of the number one rules for making comedy film or television is that you shouldn't have too much fun because right. then it always comes across as a bit like self-aggrandizing and yes, like, yeah. oh, everyone's having a good time except me, I'm watching it. Do you know what I mean? I'm the one paying for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. um and I think there is truth in that, but also there is a camaraderie amongst funny people. Like if 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 they can make each other laugh and make the crew laugh or, or make the other actors laugh and whatnot, there's something in that. There is something in that. And if you can bottle it um, so it doesn't get boring, then even better. And Ricky, he's definitely a one for like couple takes and done. Do you know what I mean? We're not doing this fucking thing all day. That's why he always finishes early. And so in the business, people love him because he most shoots, you know, finish at the well, seven till seven, and Ricky will be like nine till four. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so should we get on to number four? Yeah, I, I can't even remember what it is. Um, <laughs> uh, actually, I've got, I've got them here. What was it? Oh yeah. Yeah, this is just a this was just a a, a good old fashioned death at <laughs> Leicester Square <laughs> Theatre, um, where I've continually died over the years, um, and this was one where there was some rowdy Glaswegians in the second row and they just rattled me. Yeah. Not saying anything mean. They were just like not really paying attention. They're quite loud, having conversations, and again, you know, a lot of these deaths come from the early stages because I just didn't have a gear change. I didn't have a way to deal with it. So I just sort of struggled along, you know, this bit of material, that bit of material, none of it works. And it's probably because the audience is looking at me going, mate, tell them to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, and you're yeah. not. Um, <laughs> so it gets to the end. I always know I've had a bad gig because I'll say something like, that's my time. Yeah, that was just not a way to end the gig. That's that I've done the twenty minutes I was contracted to do. So hey. thank you very much. Uh, they got to the, the end of the twenty, sort of s s smattering of applause, painful. Like oh god, just the just that feeling of finality. Like they couldn't wait for me to just go and get the host back on. 
and uh, I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there. So I turned. This stage is like long and narrow, big, heavy set theatrical curtain behind me. So I turned to to get through the curtain. I just pushed it aside, and to my horror, it wasn't that wasn't where the gap was oh, in the curtain. My. <laughs> so like I shuffled along the curtain a little bit and pulled at it again, and that, the gap wasn't there either. So then I panicked immediately. I thought. <laughs> Either I reach again to my right or I just have to shuffle back to the left and I'm definitely going to look lost. I went for the third option and shuffled back to the left and I still couldn't fucking find it. And it it was just, I can't express like the pain of it, the horror. I I had nothing. I just felt so empty, and I just thought, I'm never coming back here. I'm never doing comedy again. So it doesn't matter what the fuck happens next. Uh. And I just got down and crawled under it (laughs) (laughs) and got the fuck out of there. I would love to have seen that. And when I was behind the curtain, I heard the host go back on. He goes, Oh, that's a bit embarrassing, wasn't it? Anyway. Our next act is. Oh, oh, I was just like, oh God! Right, so hear that as, as you're like leaving oh. the joint as well. Because oh. oh, there's nothing worse than you know people are watching you and you're fucking up. Like yeah. you're doing something that normally you do effortlessly. Yeah. But you can't negotiate a door. It might be a step. Or you had a bit of a. You bailed out, didn't you, the other day? You told me you stacked it in the middle, <laughs> middle of the high street. <laughs> this is, this street. is amazing, that's man. I could take that. It was in the middle of fucking Liverpool Street Station. <laughs> and that's, that's never a mellow place to be. No, it's not. Uh, yeah, I've done full splits while I was trying to <laughs> Were you running for a train? Uh, no, I was literally, was, I was out with my wife and we was walking back through Liverpool on Saturday and we'd been to a restaurant and the, the guy that owned the restaurant gave us some food to take home for our kids and, uh, and also gave me a bottle of whiskey. And so I had like three bags... Like oh, the, no. the kind of paper bags full of food, so I'm, I'm walking through, <laughs> and my front heel went. Like, cause I, oh. I was, you know, gone out for our anniversary. I was dressed smart, had like, you know, some nice shoes on and that, and and the heel just went. And so I literally <laughs> kind of, I looked like I was doing some kind of. My upper half was doing because I didn't want the two bag, the three bags, sorry, to to hit the floor. So my arms kind of went up in the Karate Kid kind of crane pose. Whilst <laughs> Whilst my fucking front heel just went full, like, full split, oh. and, like literally, but didn't sort of then topple to the left, got stuck in that situation. Oh, so I'm, I'm wow. there, literally everybody is now pointing and pissing themselves, oh. and like my missus has took a bag off me, like I was like a, a pensioner that had a fall, and like, <laughs> oh my God. I tried to kind of get back up, hurt my knee in it, so I kind of hobbled oh, it was yeah in actual pain as well yeah, yeah. but you have oh. to like it's an immediate thing to make sure no one realizes yeah. you've actually hurt yourself if there was a curtain pen i would have, i would have gone under it man yeah oh, get out of there. oh I, I can't imagine that like sort of like having a really not a great set and then you can't negotiate a curtain and you mm. you still you can feel people's eyes on the back of you i think when i look back on it i think 10 years of of, of doing stand up I very rarely ever invited my friends. Not until probably the last couple of years when I just knew I'm not fucking dying. It's just not something I do anymore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think all those years that they missed like amazing nights, legendary nights, nights where I turned the room around, did, did amazing things and there was nobody I knew to witness it. Was these nights was, when you checked like entrances to the stage and exits from the stage, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. You, you tied a rope around your waist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think if, it out. if I'm honest with myself, 
it was probably a subconscious decision based on exactly what you just said. Mm. This is something that I'm good at every night. Mm. So the audacity of this venue and this curtain to kill to kill me in this moment, <laughs> you know, I'm good. That's what you want to scream when you're dying. I'm actually good at this. <laughs> you should have seen me last night. It's fucking amazing. Do you know what I mean? And I think, yeah, it's probably subconsciously it's a fear because the only thing in my mind that could make a death worse, make a bad stand-up gig worse, is if I had a family member or a friend in the room. Mm. Because like my mum, my mum's one of the few people who's seen me struggle. She's seen me, she's seen me die once. And when she saw me die, when I came off, she was like, "So what? What are you gonna, what are you gonna do now?" I was like, "What?" I was like, get some food and she was like no no like, I mean in terms of <laughs> oh that's terrible like your career that is brutal like what are you gonna do oh, oh, fuck. And I was like no ma I, like I, I, it was a terrible gig I died but like that's, that's it doesn't end like with a yeah. terrible gig I'll have a good gig tomorrow yeah. she's like yeah but n like nobody laughed like what you know what happens now <laughs> so brutal yeah. that's the welcome to the life of a comic yeah. man it's and your mum's really caring you know your mum's not trying to destroy you in that moment yeah. but no she's genuinely like you know my son's in in trouble like how yeah. do i how do i help <laughs> you might need to look at other options yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you oh, do that, now really rough yeah no, did that, you did so because you, obviously you did um, a lot of rapping and rap battles before yeah. your that must have well I'm going to say that must have helped did it that did. help yeah it did because you've got to be confident especially like when Pips, when Pip started and he started and um, we were going around and I was watching him do a lot of like the spoken word circuit mm. and that it takes a lot to, to do that properly and also command a room because you really need to as a poet don't yeah. you so did you is that something you sort of you had an advantage at least 100% the first gig I ever did, no one laughed at all, and <laughs> I didn't even notice. Sorry, mate. This is the amazing <laughs> thing about my first gig. Yeah. I, I didn't notice or care that nobody laughed. That's how confident I was. Yeah. Like, I, I'd been working for Lenny Henry, writing gags. I'd never done stand-up yeah. before. And the producer of this show, the, 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 the sitcom for Lenny, he he'd encouraged me to come to this Rudy's night, Rudy's Rare, Rare Records. Records. Yeah, he'd he'd encouraged me to come to this night, where it's just BBC people and they're trying out scripts, comedy scripts, and they'll have a comedian who hosts it, you know. So it was like industry people, so it's fine, you know. He was like, go and try and do stand up. And I was like, what? Is that? I don't even know how that works. And he's like, well, you know, you just get up there and tell your story. And at this point, I'd not really watched any stand-up. So I didn't even know really the the laws of it. And I remember the host saying to me, do like do like seven or eight. And I was like, seven or eight what? Like jokes? He's like, no, minutes. Do like seven or eight minutes. And I was like, oh, all right. All right. And I got up and I was just telling them stories, like humorous stories about my experience working with Lenny. You had like, preps, nothing? No, nah, nothing. Like I'm talking to you now. And my body language, this is a thing like we were saying about body language before, my body language was so at ease that the crowd was just sort of with me. And they were too polite to boo. And because it wasn't a proper comedy gig, like circuit gig where everyone had paid and whatnot, they were just sort of like looking at me and I was so sure in my eyes. They were like, this is definitely going somewhere. I don't know yeah. where it's going, but it's going somewhere. Like he knows what he's doing. And it got to the end 
Uh, and the guy was like, okay, that's your time. And I was like, okay, thanks. And just walked off. And people were like, what? I didn't even get a chance to boo him. so weird. Gave him half a, a handjob and then he just walked yeah, off yeah. the stage. It was a really odd atmosphere. And I came off and the, and the producer was like, yeah, you know, if that was a talk, it would have been really interesting. But you've got, you got to write some jokes. You've got to write some jokes. Come back and write some jokes. So it's only really when I started writing jokes that I started dying. Because the expectation is different. Yeah, of you're course. expecting a reaction uh, yeah, totally. from this thing that you say, um, and that changed that changed everything, you know. So it's kind of, it's kind of weird when I think about it in those terms. You know, it's only the understanding of comedy that made me die. Before that was fine, but um, yeah, that confidence to bring it back around to your question for that very first gig, it came directly from the fact that I, like I battled people. Like I, I've been in situations where. You could battle for five hundred pound and then win the five hundred pound, and the dude just kick the shit out. Of you take the five hundred pound back. Do you know what I mean? Jeez. Like, you know, you could, you could, you, you, you're dealing with like a street culture after hours in intense surroundings. You know, and when you're young, you're a teenager or whatever. Like, it, it's everything. It's, just, it's everything. Yeah. With this, I was just like, well, am I, I'm not scared of these, well, these guys. These guys like work for the BBC. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, I didn't feel scared or pressured or anything like that. And that was definitely because I just thought I've been in more difficult situations sure. than that. It's only when I started to understand what you had to do to be a comedian that I started getting scared. And actually that probably helps, right? Because then if you get scared and you're taking it seriously, you're going to write better stuff. Yeah, definitely. Because you've got to take the shit seriously. My my writing got better and better. My performances got better and better because of the fear of death. I just didn't want to risk it. I didn't want to have 30 seconds in my set that was boring or not funny because I was terrified. (laughs) I was terrified of dying. How long after that first gig did you wait, Ben? Like, till you'd done it again? Was there like a, a? Did you then think right? I oh, now. It was whenever the next one of those was. So I think maybe they did it monthly, or every three weeks or something like that. And I came down and did it again, and nothing I said really landed. But this time I had an ace up my sleeve, because I just I panicked and I f- I said to the crowd right, uh, all right, let me show you something. Like uh, ha- ha- give me a, give me like a place name. Your place name and people were like putting their hands up, shouting names of places. Like, give me some of your. What's your name? What's your name? And give me names. Got names of like five people. Names of like five places. There's objects. Show me some objects. Hold up, some objects. A lighter, you know, a packet of Rizzlers, a wallet, and um, then I just did a freestyle like a rap, incorporating all those things. I hadn't rapped at that point in in my in my two gig career. Um, I just did a freestyle. It's an old trick. Like, and in rap, it would be hack as fuck. But in comedy, it was like, that was that moment was like, oh my God. Oh, definitely, like to make it funny It's just as done well, like right? close hand magic. That's yeah, un- yeah. unreal. And that's, that's how my act sort of was born. It was born out of the fear of, of dying again. Like, you know, just that pressure moment. Like, I need to do something entertaining. <laughs> so I did it. And yeah, that was it. Changed everything, really. It did change everything, really, Doc. You are now on Hardcore Listing Podcast. It doesn't get any higher than this, or better, or worse. Um, That was part one. This is 76, doing the outro to part one, because um, 
many, many reasons, all of which are valid. Anyway, uh, that was part one. Shouts to the Distraction Pieces Network, Susie Gage, Jim Smallman, Jason Tron, Brett Goldstein, Stu, Chris, Brad, Scroobius, Pip, um, and all them good ones. Go check out all the other podcasts because they're banging. Until then, stay tuned for part two, which drops probably tomorrow. It's a drunken soiree in the within. Chris and Stu present our core listing, the podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.